0: Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse... Uh, we'll start at verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul talking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now in verse 2, he's going to start telling you how to walk worthy of that. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience... Bearing with one another in love, verse 3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I was reading this scripture, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and that phrase, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, jumped out at me. Growing up, In Chilliwack, we always had unity services. You know, they were called unity services. And what they were, was once a year we'd have the churches all come together from all the different denominations and, and have church together and try and have this church service. And you know, when you get a bunch of different denominations together, when everybody has their own ideas and opinions about the way things are supposed to work, it never goes good, does it? it can go good if everybody has the right goal in mind but usually what happens is when you, when you pull together you know 150 different denominations because there are so many different little variations isn't there? there's not just Baptist there's like a thousand different Baptist denominations isn't there? When I drive through Tulsa with my family, there is a Baptist church in every corner, and they're all different. This is like South Street Free Baptist Church. This is North Street Crazy Baptist Church, and they're all different. But they're they're all Baptist church, but they all have their own little variations of what they believe. So when we had these unity services, you know, we would get together, and people would try and work together, but they just believed so many different things that it didn't really work. And so I grew up thinking that unity just wasn't something that was ever going to happen. So I'm reading this scripture and I come across this verse that says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's not just saying eager to maintain the unity, period, end of sentence. It's the unity of the Spirit. See, the Bible uses over and over again the analogy of us being one body. And there is the unity of the Spirit and to maintain that unity, we have to be together and joined together. I'm thinking about that song we were singing this morning about the blood of Jesus. O oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. Listen, if you had a body and... It was disconnected from itself. There is no life flowing to those pieces that are disconnected, is there? Because it is the blood that flows through the body that gives life to the different members in the body, isn't it? And if there's division, if there's separation in the body, then that part of the body isn't having the spirit or the blood flow to that part to give it the life that it needs to live, is it? Yeah. It's separated. It's all by itself. And listen, we all know if you lost a part of your body, if, if something happened out on the ranch and you, you got your pinky chopped off, something just happened and got chopped off, well, we've all seen enough Medical TV shows that we know that if we grab that finger and put it in ice and rush really fast to the hospital, what can they do? They can save it so that you can have your four fingers and thumb back instead of having three fingers. But if you just get that finger chopped off and you're like, well, there goes another one, (laughs) and you just leave it laying on the ground. What happens to that finger? Slowly, the blood drains out of it and it dies. It shrivels up, it wrinkles up, and it's useless, isn't it? When there is no life, when there is no blood, when there is no spirit flowing to the connected parts of the body, it brings death. See, it says eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Now, I'm going to read to you. This is just a dictionary definition of what the word eager means. But it's having or showing keen interest or intense desire or impatient expectancy. That is how we are supposed to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I'll say it again. Having or showing keen interest, intense desire, or impatient expectancy. That's the way that we are supposed to maintain the unity of the Spirit. With that zeal and with that fervor and with that, oh, i got to have it. Lots of us grow up in life and somebody makes us mad. Listen, somebody's going to make you mad all the time. You're going you're, you're to meet a person every day that's going to say the wrong thing They're going to smell the wrong way. They're going to look at you the wrong way. And it's going to make you mad. And you can talk to people that have met someone or have have a family member that has made them mad and what do they do? They cut that person off. They say, I don't have a family. That guy's not part of my family anymore. And they cause separation and division. I want to tell you That there is no room for division and separation in the body of Christ. There is no way that that can that can live and that can be allowed inside the body of Christ. In first Peter chapter three, Peter's talking, he's talking about wives and husbands and he's talking about their roles and who does what and treat your, he's talking to the wives and he says, Wives, treat your husbands this way. And he says, Husbands, likewise, you treat your wives this way. Also remembering that your joint heirs together, joint heirs together. So when you come and you pray, listen, the way that you treat your wife or your husband or your family matters to God. Think about all the times you drive to church And you're having a fight in the car. You're having a fight in the parking lot. And you walk in the doors, and as soon as you walk through those doors, everybody's all smiles. You're dragging your kids up the stairway. I don't want to go to church. Shut up, you're going to church. I don't want to go to church. I don't don't like it. It's boring. Shut up, you're going to church. And suddenly those doors open. Everybody's like, good morning. (laughs) We're so excited to be here. And your kid runs off and goes finds his friends. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. But listen. If in my marriage there is separation, there is division, I can't come and be believing God for something while I'm allowing this part of my life to not line up to the Word of God. Where I have a break, where I have a where I have a separation, where I'm not treating my wife right. Listen, marriage—it's just a picture of God, isn't it? See, in God, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever realized, I should say, there's three parts to God, right? There's the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. They are three different people, but one, right? Three, one, three, one, three, one. Have you ever realized that there's never been any separation between those three? There's never been any division. They are unified, they are one. Our marriage is a reflection of that relationship. When you get married, your husband or your wife join together. And guess who else is there? God. And suddenly you're three in one. You can't break and have division in your marriage and expect to line up to the Word of God. You have to be joined. You have to be walking together. So he says that you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Why does the unity of the Spirit matter? How do you maintain the unity of the Spirit? Those are the two things that I want to look at today. Does the unity of the Spirit matter? Does unity in the body of Christ matter? Why does it matter? Listen, in Genesis chapter 11, I'm not going to read it, but in Genesis chapter 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. You all know the story? It's a great story. They all get together one day, and this is what happens when you have boys that have nothing to do. Let's go play in the dirt. Let's go build something. I remember growing up, I lived in a place where they were, in our subdivision, they were building new houses, so it was a construction zone, so they they always had, you know, excavators and cranes and all sorts of stuff, digging up dirt and making big piles, and we would go out, all the neighborhood boys, and we would take our little cars, remember, little metal cars, they don't really have those, well they do, but nobody really plays with them anymore, do they, do they, okay, See? Exactly. So we would take our little cars and we'd go outside and on this huge mound of dirt we would make roads and houses and, and, you know, boy stuff. So in Genesis chapter 11, all these guys are together. They're all speaking the same language. Actually, let's just look at it for a second just so I can show you something. We won't take too long over here. But I want you to be able to see this. Now, we always use this story... In a negative context, okay? It's always the Tower of Babel. God had to show up and take care of things. But there is something that I want to show you in this story. Uh, Genesis is at the very beginning of your Bible. Just in case you're wondering. Uh, Josiah knew it. He was the first one to go there. He just told me that. Good job, buddy. Josiah is my son. I gave him all my hair. Well, it's true (laughs) Genesis chapter 11 verse 1 says now the whole earth had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east they found the the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and they said to one another come let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly that sounds like fun let's make something and burn it and make it hard and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, hey, look at this stuff we have. It's like, it's like man-sized Lego. So he says, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? So in verse 5 it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said... Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Listen, when you have unity, there's nothing that you can't do. See, it said they were one people, they had one language. They had one goal, didn't they? They said, hey, let's, let's all do this. And they all said, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's do this. And they all started working together. And they communicated. And there was no breaks and no division. They all did it together. And what happened? They started to build this thing. Now, what was their problem? They wanted to make a name for themselves. That's when God showed up and said, I've got to split them up. I've got to give them different languages. I've got to confuse it. I've got to bring division to them. But when you're one... Listen. If the body of Christ is one from coast to coast in this nation, what do you think would be the outcome in our cities and in our provinces? Let me say this to you. If there's ever division in the context of something that is right and true and righteous and holy, okay, not division from things that are unclean or unholy. but I'm talking about things that are right. If there's ever division, who does that come from? It's from the enemy. It's always from the enemy. God is never going to come to you and say, listen, listen, you know, You know, I know you guys are trying to reach your city, and I know you guys are wanting to have this praise and worship night in the city and get everybody together and have somebody come and speak. I know it's what you want to do, but I don't I don't want you to do that. Let's let's split it up. You know what, John? You you shouldn't like that guy anyways. He smells and he talks bad about you. Don't like him. Don't hang out with him. That is never God. That is always the enemy. In John ten ten it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you ever think that some of those things that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you know, we always think they're like physical things, like he's stealing things from me. He's killing things. He's destroying things. But did you ever start to think maybe some of the things that he came to steal, kill, and destroy is unity? One is the greatest number that they'll ever be. But it is true, isn't it? And it's not, let's all get together and make me look really good and I'll be the one. It's, let's all get together and make him look really good and he'll be the one. That is the one. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. I want to show you something here. We're going to make our way through the first couple chapters of Acts, and we'll do it fast-ish. I'm not going to read every word and draw it out. But I do want to show you something. Uh, Have you ever realized that the book of Acts is... Pretty much the only book in the New Testament that is a picture of New Testament living. The first four books in the Bible, or the New Testament, are about Jesus and His ministry and His life. Acts is about what it was like after Jesus left and the Holy Spirit was sent down to us. Basically, the rest of the New Testament is letters to the churches So we've got this book of Acts to study and give us an accurate picture of what our life is supposed to look like. So we don't just read the book of Acts and take it lightly. You should read the book of Acts and expect these things to happen in your life. That's why the book of Acts is in the Bible for you to look at it and say, wait a second, that's not happening in my life. Why not? At the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus has gotten everybody together. He's risen from the dead again. And they're all together. Um, in verse number, the end of verse 4, starting at verse 5, it says, You heard from me from John that John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, you know, the disciples ask him uh, in verse 6, are you going to restore the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel? he says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. He says, but in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in in white robes and said men of Galilee why do you stand looking into heaven look they all knew this was happening you know Jesus had been with them for 40 days after he rose from the dead, he visited them, he talked with them, and so here they are, they're up on the mountain, and Jesus is like, I'm leaving now, goodbye. And he starts flying away, he's like, you need to go back and go into the city, and, and go and be together, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. That's what I want you to do. Okay, Jesus. And suddenly Jesus starts raising up. <laughs> on a, says a cloud took him up into heaven. So they're all watching him go, and they're all just standing there, the disciples, they're all just standing there watching Jesus. Just staring. Just staring. Just looking. Oh, You know like when a balloon goes in the sky? <laughs> and everybody stares to see how long they can see the balloon for? I always kind of wonder how long they actually stood there. <laughs> like, I wonder if they stood there so long that the angels had to come and be like, "Shoo." You've been here two hours now. Go. (laughs) And they just stared and stared and stared. And the angels come to them and say, Listen, what are you doing? He's going to come back the way he left, but you need to go now. So it says they leave, they go into the city... And it says, uh, in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now verse 14 says, All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all with one accord. Listen, we all know what one accord means. They were all together with one purpose, with one plan, with one vision, with one goal. They knew that Jesus said, go back to the city because when I, when I go up, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down on you. So you go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they said, okay. So they all went back to the city. They all went back up to the upper room. And they all sat down and started to pray. All together, in one accord, in unity, with one purpose, with one goal, to wait for the Holy Spirit. So they sit there. There's 120 of them. At the beginning of chapter 2, it says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost Arrived, They were all together in one place. I want you to notice all these times that it says things like, all together in one place. They were in one accord. The word one is important. They weren't having four different prayer meetings. They weren't like all in separated groups where some of them thought they should pray this way. Some of them thought they should pray this way. Some of them didn't think they should pray, but they should just lay down and close their eyes and listen. Some thought they should stand on one foot with a hand in the sky waiting to receive. Come on. honestly, That's what church can be like sometimes, isn't it? You go to different places and they're like, Well, why are you raising your hands? We're a one-hand church. Okay? So put down both hands. And at our church... We don't, we don't dance like this. We just jump up and down like this. Okay, so don't bring that demon dance into my building. That will chase the Holy Spirit right out of here. No. They were all together in one accord with one place. There was no division. There was no separation. There was no arguing. There was, oh, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you either. I don't like you. Your beard's ugly. They just had one purpose, and that purpose was to wait for the Holy Spirit. You know, you know, sometimes I think we just make things so complicated. You know, in Revelation, Jesus is talking, He goes and He talks to the first church, and He says, You know, I know your works, and you've done all these great works. You do these great things, you take care of these people, but you've lost your first love. And basically, what have they done? They had replaced their first love with all these rules and guidelines. All these programs. Forget the programs. Get back to the simplicity of the Bible. Listen, hold your place in Acts for a second. I want to finish reading Ephesians 4 to you. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 4. This is just when he's finished saying, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He then goes on to say, listen, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there is one Lord, one Father, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That is a whole lot of one. See, the point is to worship the one true God. The point is to serve the one true God. There's no, there should be no division and separation in the body of Christ. Back over to Acts. So they came together all in one place. And suddenly in verse 2, there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4 says, And they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we're going to go through these chapters of Acts, but I want you to be paying attention to something. What I want you to notice is that where there is unity, there is the Spirit. And where there is the Spirit, lives are always changed. You need to have those three together. The Holy Spirit will not work in a place where there is division. He can't work in a place where there's division, where there's anger, where there's fighting, where there's separation. Watch this. Watch this with me. It says they're all sitting together in this room. Now listen. I want you to think about something. From the Passover to the day of Pentecost is around 50 days. Okay? We know that Jesus was in the ground for three days. That leaves us 47 days. We know that Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days. Tells us that. That leaves us around seven days. That means that these guys were in the upper room for more than five minutes. Okay? It doesn't mean that they had a one-hour church prayer meeting that we are all so accustomed to These guys were serious about it. Jesus said to do this, so they went to do it. I imagine that if it took two months, we'd be standing here reading it right now, putting the dates together and realize they were in that upper room for two months, unified in one place, in one accord, with one purpose. This is some serious waiting. We always want things right away. We want to eat right away, we want we want God to answer our questions right away, we want wisdom right away, we want understanding right away, we want healing right away. We want everything in our life right away, but listen, sometimes you've got to wait. Sometimes it takes more than a little thirty second prayer, and then you throw your praying and tongues at it for sixty seven seconds. Power prayer. What's my answer? They were here for a while. And it says, all of a sudden, the day of Pentecost arrives. And they're all sitting around and they're praying. And who knows what their praying was like? Because they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. So I imagine they were all praying in English or whatever language they spoke. <laughs> Not English. Halakalam. <laughs> They're all praying. And you know what that means? Well, you do know what that means because lots of times we don't like to pray in English because other people can hear us. Have you been in church when someone stands up and says, let's pray! And we all start praying in tongues. You're like, that's awesome, great, okay, now we just need to start praying in English. And the volume of the room just goes... Everybody's like, yes, pray in English. That's much more serious. Jesus. I don't know what to say right now. People could be listening to me. Well, here's an interesting thought. A really good way to pray with people and be unified is to pray in English so they can all agree with you. You're praying in tongues. Nobody can agree with you. They can pray in tongues. They have no idea what you're saying. But when you stand up and you start praying in English... And we're all gathered together. Well, you can get behind what I'm saying. You could agree with it. I say, Father, I thank You right now that Your kingdom comes and Your will is done in this place. Father, I thank You right now that people's eyes are open and their ears are open and their hearts are open. Father, we pray that Your Holy Spirit moves in this place and we wait for You, Holy Spirit. And you can all sit there and say, Yeah, I know what He's talking about. I understand those words. I can get behind it. I can be in unity. I can be unified with that. And guess what happens? We're all in one accord we're believing the same thing. We're saying the same thing. And so they're all sitting up there and they're praying. And suddenly, (sniffs) the house we live in is up on a mountain. And there's a big pit in front of our house. They're doing construction. It's a new subdivision. And we are right on the corner. And so there'll be times when we get wind storms where we live. And the wind just comes up right up that, right up this gravel pit comes right over and just smacks right into our house and you can I've been I've been sleeping in bed and it'll wake me up because the house just is shaking and you know what I'm talking about it's those times when the wind is so intense that you think your roof is gonna fly off that you picture the Wizard of Oz and the house is lifted up and flying away you think oh my goodness this is so intense and you, sh- you hear like this you know and you're lying in bed and you're like this is really bad Well, here they all sing in this room, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind starts coming, and they all hear it's like flying around. And all of a sudden, they all have these little flame looking things, and they all start speaking in tongues. (laughs) Listen, in today's culture, just about everybody has some sort of point of reference for what praying in tongues is, don't they? You could talk to people at church and they go, Well, you don't go to one of those tongue-talking churches, do you? Everybody knows. But listen, they had no point of reference for what was happening. They were just filled. And they started speaking. And it was so intense and so loud. The people in the surrounding area heard them and all gathered together, didn't they? And listen, listen to this. In verse number 3, says, or verse 5, it says, Now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And it goes on to list over 13 different nations that people are from. It says there were people from, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Judea. my goodness, slow down. Judea uh, Cappadocia Philia Egypt parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome that is a lot of people and what are they saying? they're saying we hear them speaking in our own languages so it would be the equivalent of us having a prayer meeting in Lloyd right now and the Holy Spirit falling on us, and instead of just speaking in tongues, we're all speaking in different languages. Some of us are speaking in Tagalog, because you have Filipino people in this country, don't you? In your city, in this country, this, this place right here. <laughs> and some of us speaking in different First Nations languages, and whatever languages that are present in this city, all of a sudden we're praying and we start speaking in these languages, and they all show up and say, What is happening? All these people, they they look and they say, These are all Galileans. These are all white people. That's what they'd say about you. This is a white guy. Look at him. He's white as white can be. He's super vanilla. (laughs) But here he is busting out Cree. Here he is speaking in Tagalog. He's got no idea what he's saying. But what they hear is how great and how wonderful and how amazing God is. I wish that would happen to me and I could speak Spanish because I really like Spanish. So does Echo. And they're all speaking and they all show up and then, some people are making fun of them and, and Peter stands up and says, listen, listen, it's the first thing in the morning. We're not drunk. He's like, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible was talking about. And he goes on to preach this message to them. And at the end of his message in uh, chapter 2, um, And let's go look at verse um, 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the, Lord call, whom the Lord God calls to himself, which is everybody. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that is awesome. This is what happens when you're unified. This is what happens when you're walking in unity and the Holy Spirit begins to move in your midst and through you. But you know what's really cool? Is it didn't stop there. Did it? No, No, let's let's keep going. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through all the apostles. If you go all the way down to verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. When did this start? This started when they went to the upper room and were waiting in one accord. When the Holy Spirit fell on them and began to flow through them and God began to work signs and miracles through them, people's lives were changed. People that had no idea about who God was, who Jesus was. Because of the unity in their group. And listen, There was 120 of them. When you get 120 anybody together, there's going to be certain opinions and beliefs, and I think we should do it this way, and I think you're wrong, I think we should do it this way. But they managed to navigate their way through that and continue with one heart, with one goal. But listen, it doesn't stop here. It keeps going. Chapter 3 starts off with Peter and John going to pray. And they, let, they met a lame man on the way. And this guy says, alms, alms, I need some money. He's been lame for 40 years. His legs have never worked. And they look at him and say, listen, I don't have any money. But what I do have is the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And this guy jumps up. He jumps up off the ground. I mean, his legs have never worked. He'd have no muscles. He'd have no... He wouldn't even know how to walk. And this guy jumps up. Why is this happening? Because of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in their lives. And then everybody sees the lame man that they all know has been begging for 40 years. They all see him dancing around. They all see Him jumping up and down and shouting. They're like, wait a second. So they all gather together, and what happens? Then they start to preach to them. Listen, the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the signs and the wonders, they're not just to make you feel good about yourself. They're not for us to come to church and have a great Holy Ghost time and leave and go to the buffet after church on Sunday. those things are for those people. The ones that we see outside of these windows. Look it. Let's look outside this window. That's a house. <laughs> Point not made. <laughs> There's people that do live in that house. And across from that house is a highway. And across from that highway is a Tim Hortons where everybody in the world seems to go. Listen. See, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to come together. We're supposed to be unified in our love and our belief, the things we walk in. And our love for Jesus is really the one thing. And we unite over that and we come together and we worship him, we praise him, we learn about him, he speaks to us, and then we leave this place. And what we're supposed to do is like you see here. They left the upper room, didn't they? Have you ever realized that? They didn't hang out in there. Oh, we can't leave, man. If we leave, these people are going to think we're crazy, they think we're drunk. No, these people came to their door. They're like, what's going on in there? Hey, open up in there. Open up. Are you guys drunk or what? I'm the alcohol police. Open the door. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. You can't be drunk yet. And somebody else is like, no. I hear them talking about God in my language. In the place where I come from. This is supposed to be normal in our life. Is it? I want it to be normal in my life. I want crazy things to be normal in my life. I want crazy to be normal. That's what I want. I want to be a weirdo for Jesus. But not like a weirdo weirdo, like a good weirdo. Like a cool weirdo that you want to be around. So they all get together. They've just all seen this guy jumping up and leaping and using his legs, and he's so excited. He's flailing them around wildly because he never has before. And all those people gather together, and Peter starts preaching again. And what happens? Well, in verse 4 of chapter 4, this is after they just got arrested. The Pharisees and the Sadducees stood up and said, No, we don't want you talking about Jesus. So they threw him in jail. And in verse 4 it says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. This thing is just growing and growing and growing. Listen, it goes on and on and on. And it goes on all the way. Let's look in chapter 4, verse 31. These guys have gotten out of jail, and what they did in verse twenty-three, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders had said to them, "Which was, you can't talk about Jesus anymore." And Peter and John said, "Well, you listen to me. If it's right for us to obey God or you, you decide. But we're doing what He says." So then they leave jail, they go back, and they find their friends. They find the believers. And in verse 24 it says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And they said, I want to read this prayer because it is a wonderful prayer. This is what they're praying to God. And they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They're just talking to God. To do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Notice they're saying, while you stretch out your hand to heal. It's not us stretching out our hand. It's him stretching out his hand through us. Um... And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The full number, not a portion of those who believed, not a section, not half, Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Now, listen, something very interesting happens next. They're all together, they're walking in love, they're walking in unity, and what do they start doing? They start selling their land. They start bringing everything together and nobody's missing anything. Nobody, if I had a million dollars, I'd bring it into the church and I'd distribute it to somebody who had nothing. I made sure that nobody was lacking. We were all one big happy family. We were all sharing, walking in unity, walking in love, taking care of one another. And a man sold his property and brought it and laid it at the feet of the disciples. Brought the whole thing. Now in verse number one of chapter five, suddenly things take a turn. Let's look at verse 36 real quick in chapter 4. It says, Then Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back from himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? See, what do we see happening here? You're seeing division. Listen Barnabas brought his money laid it at the apostles feet Think with me why would somebody sell their land make money on it and bring it and lay it at the apostles feet and say that this was all they got and keep some back secretly Jealousy they want to be noticed they want to look as good as Barnabas did. Barnabas is holy and righteous. Look at him. He sold his land. And he came and they brought it and, and they distributed the money. So Ananias says, Well, I want some of that. Who knows what he's thinking? He's a human. So think it through yourself. How would you feel? What kind of thoughts would you deal with? So this guy sells it and with his wife says, Okay, we're going to sell our land, but we're going to say we only sold it for this much so we can keep some for ourselves. Separation. Up to this point, it was all together. Everybody was sharing. If they they had something, they sold it and they brought it and they distributed to each one as they had need. It was all together, but suddenly Ananias says, I'm going to keep part back for myself. Keeping something back. Putting it away. What is that? It's division and separation. Taking care of yourself. And what it really is, see... Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? This is the enemy coming and trying to cause division. So what happens? Ananias drops dead. They carry him out. Three hours later, his wife shows up. And Peter, I always always think this is a bit cruel. But listen they had to get rid of this sin because if they didn't get rid of the division and separation, the Holy Spirit couldn't continue to work. And Peter says to Sapphira, I have a question for you. Hi Sapphira, I have a question for you. Did you guys actually sell your property for this much money? See, he's giving her the chance to say the right thing here. And she says, yes, we did sell it for that much. And he says, hmm, well, the boys who buried your son or your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out and bury you now, too. And she drops dead. They carry her out and bury her. Now, here's something really interesting. You read that story, and it seems like, man, this story is just out of the blue. We're talking about the Holy Spirit moving. We're talking about lives being changed. We're talking about be- people being saved and miracles happening and people being set free. And, and, and we're seeing all these great things. And all of a sudden, we're talking about someone lying and being killed because of it. And it just seems a tad extreme. But then all of a sudden, we see they're both dead, taken care of. The problem has ended, the problem has solved. And suddenly, in verse 12, all of a sudden we're back to now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by all the hands of the apostles. It's very interesting. There must be unity for the Holy Spirit to move and flow between us to distribute to each and every part of the body. Like I said earlier, if a piece is cut off from the rest of the body, it will die. It will shrivel. We must be joined together. We must stay one. For that spirit to flow and that blood to wash over us and to bring us life. The life is in the blood. Don't we know that? To have life flowing through you, you must be connected. John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. What is that? A picture of connection, a picture of unity, being connected to Him together as one. A vine and a branch is the same thing. So how do you walk in unity? Unity is hard. It's hard to work with other people because everybody has their own opinions, their own beliefs, their own thoughts. Everybody's going to hurt your feelings at some point. Everybody's going to make you mad one day. Your best friend is going to take you off something bad one day. So, what do you do when that happens? How do you walk through that? How do you continue to stay in unity when they've made you mad? Do you have to stay in unity? Yes. Listen, unity is not an option. Just like at the very beginning, I was talking about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are together as one, they are unified, they will never separate. They are one. We're supposed to spend our life and our time reflecting that image, working to become more like Him. You cannot be separated. It really isn't an option. Separation is death. So back to Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at this. How do you walk in unity? the great thing about the Word of God is that it always gives you the answers. He never leaves you hanging. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure book where you have to have four choices to choose from and all of them end in death. <laughs> you were just eaten by an abominable snowman. You chose wrong. Here it says, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How do you walk in unity? Just like that. Bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter 5 tells us says the end of all things the end of all things is near be fervent in prayer love fervently I'm supposed to love John fervently because love covers a multitude of sins if John hurts my feelings I do not have the option to hold a grudge against him for the next 75 years What does that do? It hinders me. It hinders John. It hinders the body of Christ. The only thing you can do is walk in love. Listen, when somebody hurts you, it is going to happen. Now, it is their choice what they do But the only option as a believer that you have is to walk in love with humility, with patience. Let's look at something here. Go to Colossians chapter um, 3, I believe. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 is a companion Scripture to the one we just read. And it says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. He's saying, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, so you also must forgive. Now verse 14 says, Now, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together together, in perfect harmony. The New King James says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love is what will continue to have unity through you. Love is what holds you together when you want to pull apart. It's the perfect bond. I'm hurt, but I still love you. And I'm going to continue to stay connected to you and work through this. Because of love. Because of unity. Because if I separate from you, I'm going to die. Yeah. And God can't flow. You must walk in unity. When you walk in unity, the Holy Spirit will flow through you. And lives will be changed. Go through the book of Acts. You see it over and over and over again. People that walk in that love, people that walk in that unity, things are happening in them and through them. And when it gets hard and you don't know what else to do and you're hurt and you want to run away and you want to be by yourself and you want to be alone, then what you do is you walk in love and you stay connected. There's no pulling back. There's no running away. It's the walking in love. It's love that maintains the unity. Love is the perfect bond that holds you together. Amen? Stand up with me. Do you have anything you want to say? Well, come on.
1: Sorry, John. It's nothing profound, but I just, I can't get away from the fact that John 1010 has just been brought up over and over this weekend. Um... You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life and, and have it more abundantly. And what Jake's really talking about, I believe, by the Spirit of God, is that the the life of God um, this way, so it can flow through us and out. And, and it's about the life of God. And I just wanted to remind everyone what Psalm 133 says. And it says, Behold. Okay, it's saying behold. Like, pay attention to this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers, notice it says brothers, it doesn't just say people, okay? It says, but when brothers dwell in unity, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. And what does oil do? You know, you think about olive oil, it keeps things subtle, it keeps things fresh, it keeps things alive, it keeps things from cracking, it keeps things from drying out. It, it, it You know, and olive oil, it, 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 keeps, us, it keeps us healthy. Um, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Interestingly enough, if not for the dew of Hermon, the um, vegetation and the things that would grow on the mountains of Zion wouldn't be able to bear fruit and be fruitful. So you can see that unity also brings us to a place of being able to bear fruit. But it says, For there, God has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And obviously the point there being that God can't command. He wants to. He wants to. But to command the blessing of life forevermore, what God's really doing today is cultivating, again, and bringing our attention, our awareness, that this is important. Like it starts with that word in Psalm 133. It says, Behold, pay attention to this. Fix your eyes on this. This is is important and being unified here we won 't be unified here until we 're unified here, like Jesus said in john fourteen he said i 'm praying that they would be one as you and I are one, so we must guard this we must protect this and and and, and keep this um, because how will they know until we know and we understand um but God, it's just so wanting to release His life to His people and through us, and have that awareness um, that you know um, that Scripture there talked about how we were a bond servant, you know, and having that awareness that it's not about me. <laughs> this isn't a this isn't about me. But my life is to be surrendered, you know, for this for this cause. I kneel and I bow my my knee before the Father. Um, that I don't have a choice. I don't get a say in this, you know, whether I walk in love, whether I walk in forgiveness, whether I'm going to walk in kindness, you know, whether I'm going to walk in unity, because I understand that, my, that I'm not living for myself, but for this cause I was born, and for this cause I will live for Him. And because I submit and I surrender to Him, that um, this might be work, but I, I answer to something higher, and my life is not my own. And I will behold, and I will fix my eyes on the love of Christ and on the love of God so that it can flow to me, to flow through us, bringing life to the body, but to the world. Amen?
0: I just want to pray with you real quick before we finish up. And I give it back over to whoever. Uh, Father, we thank you right now for what you're doing. Father, I pray for the body of Christ. Father, I ask that you reveal to us the way to walk in unity. Father, I pray that you show us, that you teach us, that you guide us, that you open our eyes to areas that we need to walk in unity in. Father, open our eyes to relationships or places that we haven't walked in unity. Father, show us how to correct them and how to fix them. Father, teach us to navigate through them. Father, I pray right now that you speak to us, that you reveal to us, Father, the areas and the places that we need to walk and fix up and to walk more perfectly like you. Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for your Holy Spirit flowing through the body of Christ and touching this city and this nation and this province, Father, because we are unified just as you are unified. Father, I thank you right now that you show us how to, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you open our eyes and our ears to hear you to follow your voice, to follow your words, Father, to to seek hard after you, Jesus. Father, I pray right now and I ask that your kingdom comes and that your will is done inside of us, Jesus, in every area. In our relationships, in our marriages, in our bodies, in our finances, Father. In this city, in this church, Jesus. That the body of Christ rises up and becomes and takes the place that you have designed and called it to take in this nation. Father, I thank you that this body is connected and joined through love. We walk. Through love we see this city. We reach out, Father. And because of your Spirit flowing through us, that we are an effective tool, that your anointing flows out of us, that through us, you stretch out your hand, and you do signs and wonders, and you do healings, Father. Grant us boldness, Jesus, to say the things that you have asked us to say, and to go the places that you have told us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.